Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at a message I call Safe This Far. Safe uh, Thus Far. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore? Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame." And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. We return tonight to our brief series I've called Amazing Grace. A series prompted uh, by the fact that this year is the 250th anniversary of the writing of this hymn by the Anglican pastor and songwriter John Newton. Now, when I began this series, I knew that I was going to struggle because I kept thinking this was Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, of course, was a mathematician. And so I told myself again and again, don't say Isaac. So you know what I did? I said Isaac. <laughs> yeah, uh, several times, in fact. I'm sorry, I knew better. Uh, it, I shouldn't have done that, uh, but I did do that. Uh, I told Brother Danny earlier this week, I'm just glad I didn't say Fig Newton, you know. Uh, <laughs> he said, be careful. <laughs> so if I say Fig Newton before the night's over, just forgive me. John Newton, Anglican pastor, former slave trader, sailor, who was saved, gloriously saved, uh, became a part of the ministry the next verse that we'll have for our consideration says this, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Safe thus far. So that this wicked man, this slave trader, could describe how God's grace had brought him through many difficult experiences, and how he was confident that that same grace was going to see him home. As I told you when we were looking at this and began this, I would use these verses to uh, bring uh, ideas to us of Bible verses, of biblical truth that is suggested by them. And I immediately, in thinking of this verse, thought of the words of our text, Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the roll call of the faith. And it contains a lengthy list of people who lived and died in their faith. Who were all then summarized under the words of our text. These all died without receiving the promises. They died in faith. But they did not receive the promises uh, that they were looking for. Abraham, the Bible says, was looking for a city that hath foundations. He died as a tent dweller. And though he had been promised uh, all of this huge tract of land, he died with his deed on only one parcel, and that was his burial plot. 
And yet it all was his. They, you see, they died in faith. They did not receive the promise. God had something better in mind. That they, that is those Old Testament believers, without us, uh, should not be brought to perfection. There was something better God had in mind than them getting the promise that they lived and died waiting for and believing God for. And that was that they would join with us in receiving it all together. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, uh, that's, uh, that's a, a big theological uh, story to bite off and, and, and try to discuss tonight. We're not going to go into all of that. I just introduced it to you. And uh, then we get the words of our text in chapter 12. Though it's uh, separated by a chapter division in our Bibles, you'll see in chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore. And so actually the thoughts that Paul expresses or the writer of Hebrews expresses here in this text are tied uh, to what was said in Hebrews chapter 11. Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so our text tonight falls within two natural divisions. There are the others. The others who have gone before. The others who died in faith without having received the promises. But having seen them afar off and embraced them. Uh, they're the others. And then there is ourselves. Our race that we are running. And we all have one. And so we'll consider the passage within uh, that framework. First of all, notice the others. I'm going to give you a little bit more information about them. Go back in Hebrews 11:33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Oh, the writer of Hebrews didn't have time to tell all of this story. Oh, but he just mentions them again and again and again. And the thoughts and the stories just roll into our minds as we read these verses. Because we know about the incredible things that were done by people who believed God. He didn't have time to tell us all about them. Just amazing and miraculous events. Women who received their dead back to life again. Uh, a few who put to flight the armies, mighty armies of the aliens. All oh, the stories go on and on and on. But then comes the latter part of verse 35. Women received their dead, raised life to life again, and others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
the others. Now we might think that this is all about faith, and it is, and our message series about grace, but I want to remind you tonight that grace and faith go together. Paul gave us the classic description that we all know about in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. But uh, we have even more, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now you notice the order of that passage. We have access by faith into this grace. Oh, there's a world full of people that get that all turned around these days. And they think that, uh, you know, God just comes to us and uh, he picks us out and says, you know, I like you. I don't like him, but I like you. So I, I, I love you. I don't love them, but I love you. And, and uh, so that God, by grace, and they champion the story of God's grace. And we're sympathetic, at least, to that because we're certainly thankful for God's amazing grace. But they get the order turned around. So that God comes to us in grace and then he regenerates us. He gives us life and then we believe so that we have access by grace and to faith. But you know, Paul tells us it's just the other way around. And it's as plain as it can possibly be in this passage. By whom, that is by Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. God's grace... Oh, is indeed amazing. It is indeed amazing. We can't say enough about God's grace. How thankful we are for it. How much it does for us. But Paul says we have access by faith into this grace. And it makes me wonder, of course, not only about how many people spurn the grace of God. The grace of God that could save them. The grace of God that would save them. But they reject it because they refuse to believe. So that they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. God's grace could save them. God's grace would save them. But they reject it. I think also then about its application to us as a people of God on our side of salvation. We're saved tonight. Yes, we are. But I wonder, I wonder if there's ever a time in our life when God had grace for us. But we refuse to believe him. And because we said no to faith, we didn't believe. Then God's grace could have moved and done incredible things had we believed. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice then in hope of the glory of God. And so even though these passages in the book of Hebrews are all about faith, and they are, let's just remember that faith and grace go together. As it played out to the others then, we see this long list of people. 
And oh, there were some great, great names in that list. Indeed, they are the heroes of faith. But uh, as we reach that summary statement, and we think of all those people who escaped out of horrible trials, who were miraculously delivered from things. We think about the children of Israel walking across uh, the sea, the Red Sea dry shot, and, and the armies of Pharaoh uh, being drowned in the waters as it collapsed on them. We think about all of those stories of miraculous deliverance after miraculous deliverance, of miraculous provision after miraculous provision, of all the great and incredible things that God did for his people. And like the writer the book of Hebrews, I'd have to say tonight, I don't have time to preach all that. I'd love to. But then there were others. And for all those who escaped by their faith, so that they believed God and God's grace rescued them, delivered them from their trials, performed miracles in their life. They believed God like Daniel did, uh, like the three Hebrew young men did. Oh, yes, there were magnificent stories of deliverance. But then there were others. Others, others who were sawn asunder. Others who died. Others who languished in prison for years and in bondage. Others who suffered unspeakable torture. And by faith, they had access into God's grace. She said, what did it do for them? Exactly what Paul said it did in Romans chapter 5. They rejoiced in hope of the glory of God. Because they, by faith, though they saw the difficulties, by faith, though they endured the trials, by faith, though they had to go through these terrible experiences, by faith, they had their eyes on another country. And they saw what was ahead so that they died, still believing God, still trusting God. And God's grace then giving them the hope that they stood in need of. Tonight, you might be looking back at some experience you had that God got you through. And you say, oh, why didn't he take me out of it? He got you through it. You might be looking at some experience that God got you out of. And you say, oh, what a wonderful thing. And it was wonderful. But the same God works through the same faith and by the same grace. To help us endure as he does to help us escape. So that we continue then to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Others. The others. That's a, the story of the others who died in faith without receiving the promises. But then there's ourselves. We also, he says. We have this great cloud of witnesses. Now, the Bible scholars differ about the witnesses. Some say that this is uh, referring to that great host of people in the Old Testament and all those who have gone on to be with the Lord since. And how they're like the spectators in a grand arena as we as God's children today are, are, are performing or going about our race and living our life, doing our part of the work of Jesus Christ. 
It could be that way. It could also be that these witnesses are people who give testimony. Personally think that's the most uh, accurate or, or, or the most reasonable interpretation of the passage. That these are witnesses in the sense that they give a testimony. What testimony? That God got them through. That they endured or they escaped. We have that testimony and so many others. Testimonies that we hear in our life of great people who have served God and lived for God through incredibly difficult experiences. But God got them through and kept them going. Since then, we have this great cloud of witnesses, whichever way it is. This passage tells us some things very plainly. First of all, we have a race to run. Paul would say, and almost in writing his own epitaph, I have finished my course. What was he saying? I've, I've run my race. He had, he had talked about it uh, before that. He, he prayed then and asked others to pray that he might finish his course with joy. <laughs> oh, that's a great prayer to pray. I could ask you tonight to pray that for me. I'll pray it for you that you finish your course with joy, not with regret, not with bitterness and guile. So many people get to the end of the life and they're just so angry, so bitter. I want to finish my course with joy like the Apostle Paul did. And I want that for you. But regardless, we have a race to run. That's our life. We have a course to finish. Now we all hope we're going to finish our course with the shout and the voice of an archangel. Amen. Y'all know that? Know what I'm talking about? The rapture? That's how we all want to finish, going about our business, getting up for breakfast one day, and all of a sudden there's a shout, and we're gone. <laughs> Don't even get to finish our eggs. I mean, just leave them on the table. Uh, listen, that's going to happen one of these days. Some of God's people may not be in the morning, maybe at night. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And we all hope that that's the way it ends for us, but it may not. Aside from that, well, there's another alternative. We'll finish our course the way that so many others have. We'll finish our course without having obtained the promises, without seeing all of that play out. But either way, we'll finish our course. Either way, we have a race to run. We have a life to live. And because we're running a race then, we know that there's also some preparation that has to be made. He said, first of all, let us lay aside every weight. He refers here to things that may not be wrong of themselves, but they're just not in keeping with somebody who's running a race. If you're outside uh, today, tonight, anytime just about this week and you have a heavy overcoat... You will enjoy it. Amen. Heavy overcoat is just fine for this time of the year. But nobody runs a race in one. Uh, going about that heavy overcoat and wearing that thing, and it might make us feel a little bit better, but it just doesn't do to run a race in. You see, there are a lot of things in life that may not be bad of themselves, and they may even be good within a certain setting, but 
we need to understand that God has called us to run a race. And running our race, whatever it is, I can't run your race for you. You can't run your race for me. But whatever that race is for you, there may be things that are simply incompatible with running that race. They're going to weight you down. And so the writer calls calls us, lay aside these things. He also says, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. You see, if we struggle with our faith, we're probably struggling with some area of sin. The Bible says that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Sin wars against our faith and wars against our soul. So if we are harboring sin in our life, whatever it is, whatever that besetting sin is, whatever it is that so easily trips us up and makes it hard to run a race when you've got your foot all tangled up in a snare... It's hard to run like that. And that's what sin does to us. It so easily ensnares us. The writer then tells us, lay aside every weight, those things that may not be wrong in and of themselves, but they're hindering us, weighting us down in our race. To lay aside those sins that come in our life that easily beset us and ensnare us and hold us back in our race. Let's lay these things down. And then run with endurance. One writer says, nobody ambles over the finish line of a race. Nobody skips. <laughs> I've watched a lot of races, but I've never seen anybody just stop and kind of skip. I do remember seeing one guy who was so far ahead, he turned around and ran backwards. I personally wished he'd fall down. He'd fall down. When he, it would have served him right. But nobody ambles over the finish line of a race. You know Why? Because you know, you do know why. Whether you've ever ran in a race or not, or if you know anything about a race, you know that the runner has to run his hardest and fastest where? At the end. He's going to win. Because I guarantee you, everybody else has gone into their kick. Everybody else is running with the height of their endurance. Though they're tired, though they're worn out, Though there's something in them that might be saying, you need to quit. Though their legs are burning and their heart is pounding and their lungs are sucking air. They're giving everything they have. They're running with endurance at the finish line. I'm a lot closer to the finish of my race. I might be closer than I know. You might be closer than you know to the finish line. Of your race. We've all got one. You say, well, Brother Rich, I, I've been running a long time. It's not any time to quit. And as you get closer and closer to the end, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be harder and harder. You have to push yourself harder and harder to stay in the race. But oh, what a joy it is. When you get to finish that race and finish that course, knowing that I didn't quit, I didn't give up, didn't give out or give in, I'm I'm still in the race. Run with endurance. So there's a, a a race to run. There's a person to prepare. And then there's an example to follow. I don't have to spend a lot of time here. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just start his race? He finished it. When he cried, it is finished. It was. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Jesus left us an example. We don't follow a Savior who stands in heaven and shouts out to us to do things that he never did. He did it. He ran his race. He finished his course, and he did it with joy. He's our example. Look unto Jesus. And then there's a promise to claim. And it's set down, he says, at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand, of course, is that place of honor reserved for none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he is. But you know, as the people of God, we have a promise. And the promise is that we're going to gather around that same throne. We're going to finish that race. We have a promise to claim. And that claim is that God has promised us a place at his throne. A place at his table. We'll enjoy his presence forever. I was looking at some stuff this week about the perfect storm. It was a storm in 1991 that took the fishing vessel Andrea Gale. It wasn't just a movie with George Clooney. It was a real thing, and uh, it happened in 1991. As I was looking at this, uh, my mind was attracted then to some other thing. There was a video there, a testimonial about the winter storm of 1949. That was before I discovered America, so I was I was a little interested in that. They said it was the worst, one of the worst storms to ever hit the northern plains in recorded history. It uh, started on January second unexpectedly. There was a, a news feed from the National Weather Service that said they could expect snow flurries. It sounded like Arkansas, and instead, this massive mass of arctic air was moving south and it collided with warmer moist air that was coming up from the south and the temperature went from being in the high 30s at noon uh, to about 20 below zero about dark winds were howling 70 and 80 miles an hour they didn't just howl in snow for an hour or two but it went on for days And weeks. And the rare times when the snow would stop. The wind continued to blow. So that it just kept drifting around. Roads that could be cleared one day. They said. Would be covered back up. Sometimes 20 and 30 feet deep. With drifting snow the next. Towns were cut off. Isolated. I went from there. I saw another video testimony. Of an old man. No doubt he's dead by now. Who was talking about his aunt and uncle on that Sunday afternoon of January the 2nd they had started out to go visit some neighbors and they got to the neighbor's house and the storm hit they decided to go home it was only three miles away he said there's only three miles but the truck didn't make it far till it skidded off and they were stranded they sat in the 
in the truck for a while, he said, Mom and Dad and their two small children, little boy and little girl, they finally decided to strike out. They thought they could make it home. They wrapped up with the blankets that they had, no doubt the coats and other things. But when they found them, they said the, his aunt was kneeling down, clutching the little girl. And his uncle was holding a, a blanket standing, frozen, standing in place. Standing and the little boy. They all died in the storm. One of four of 76 deaths, by the way, that was attributed to that storm. We could tell a lot of stories like that, hundreds of stories. And we might say, how sad that they didn't make it home. I bring this to you tonight to make a simple point. Believers in Christ always make it home. Always. We're not always going to make it through everything that happens. And unless Jesus Christ intervenes with the rapture, we're not going to get out of this life alive. I mean, it's just, I'm not going to tell you that we're going to make it through every storm. We may not. But I am here to tell you tonight that because we are believers in Christ, we can say, along with John Newton tonight, as all of these generations of believers has said before, His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will see me home. No matter what, for the believer in Christ, we will make it home. And so tonight, I ask you that simple question. Are you a believer in Christ? Have you received God's amazing grace? Do you stand in that grace tonight because of your faith? Because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, then there's not a better time for you to do that. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to those that believe on his name, would you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight? You've already believed. Thank God you have. Thank God that you have experienced God's amazing grace and salvation. But let's take a moment tonight and thank him. That grace is going to see me home. Let's stand together.